0: the financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech,
1: and much more. Enjoy this episode. Thank you to the Toronto Centre and to all the partners uh, behind it for uh, for organizing uh, to have us here today. It really is encouraging to see more and more conversations of this kind around Ottawa um, and around uh, the world, I think. Uh, we're uh, on uh, the beginnings of a conversation that will receive more and more focus uh, in the years ahead. Uh, les répercussions des changements climatiques se sont uh, se font le plus uh, et en plus et en plus world. dans le monde entier. Il sera essentiel de se préparer et de s'adapter à ces répercussions pour gérer les risques auxquels font face nos entreprises, nos collectivités et nos écosystèmes. There's little doubt really that the effects of, uh, of climate change are uh, preoccupying all of us uh, more and more each day and uh, I think preparing, in fact, for, for some of us on the panel, for colleagues on the panel, this isn't about preparing, it's about living um, with the realities of, of climate change, but more importantly, managing those risks uh, for our businesses, for our communities, governments, and of course, for our ecosystems. Now, I'm also going to invoke uh, Mark Carney um, because he has become a, a very important uh, voice on issues of sustainable finance. And uh, if you go back to 2015, when referring to climate change, uh, he said that actually once climate change becomes an issue of financial stability, we may have gone far too far. So I think it's important to uh, heed those words and uh, convene as many of these conversations and, and draw out the expertise that, uh, that exists. Little question that climate change is and will have transformative economic impacts and implications for financial stability. And as a result, financial supervisors and regulators need to take greater consideration of climate risks and opportunities. Uh, Recognizing the importance of these issues, and maybe just a note on the Canadian context, back in 2018. Um, together, uh, then Minister of Environment and Climate Change uh, Catherine McKenna and the Minister of Finance Bill Morneau um, launched an expert panel uh, on sustainable finance, which reported uh, last year. And this was, uh, I think, uh, the first serious look into these issues from a from a Canadian point of view, from uh, the perspective of Canada's. Financial markets and uh, the level of engagement in that process was was uh, was excellent, and uh, we're continuing to work with the, the members of the panel as as they continue to refine their thinking. Also encouraged to see that the Bank of Canada is also a, a mover on these issues and joined the Network for Greening the Financial System in March of 2019. The bank has recognized climate-related risks and vulnerabilities for the first time in their financial system review in 20. 20- in May of 2019 and is undertaking a multi-year research plan focused on climate change. And as well, uh, Canada's bank and insurance supervisor, OSFI, the Office for the Superintendent of Financial Institutions, joined the Sustainable Insurance Forum uh, in October of last year. So it's a great opportunity for me today to be joined by Governor Antoine, by Neza Hayat, and by Anthony Nguyen, three very thoughtful thinkers on these issues. Um, Governor Antoine, I have to disclose, has been a very uh, close colleague of mine during my time at the World Bank. Um, And uh, he is, of course, the governor of the Eastern Caribbean Central Bank, uh, the monetary authority for eight amazing Caribbean countries, small island states. Uh, He's also a proud native of Grenada, and an economist and a development practitioner. Um, Neza Hayat is the chairperson and the CEO of the Moroccan Capital Market Authority, also the vice chair of the African and Middle East Committee within the International Organization of Securities Commissions. And I think uh, one of the leading thinkers around the role of women in the financial sector, and we're really looking forward to hearing your perspectives on on that and the leadership that you've provided and some of the lessons that that you've learned. And Anthony Neong is the director of climate change and green growth at the African uh, development bank, uh, formerly of IDRC uh, and of course a graduate of McMaster, so wonderful Canadian connections <laughs> and a leading author of the IPCC's fourth assessment uh, report. So really um, a very impressive group of, of folks. And so enough from me. Uh, I think it's uh, best that we dive right in and and uh, and uh, get the perspectives of our of our panelists today. So I'm gonna put a question to each of you in turn. You'll take about six minutes and respond and then and then we'll do that for each of you, and then we'll open the floor for a first round of of discussions. So as you know, this year's International Development Week um, has a theme of go for the goals. I don't think I need to tell anybody here what goals those might be. Um, And uh, so the first question is really a broad one, which is from each of your perspectives, how can financial supervisors and regulators meet organizational objectives as well as the SDGs? How do you combine these two uh, imperatives that are on all of our minds in 2020? So for you, Governor Antoine, SDG eight, aims at inclusive and sustainable economic growth. Uh, And given the fact that the global economy is growing, at a slower rate, and as the governor of the Eastern Caribbean Central Bank, how do you see these challenges manifesting and playing themselves out within the Caribbean context?
2: So thank you, Christine. Um, I want to start by just uh, recognizing the contribution of Canada and its leadership to development uh, globally, and also particularly its contribution to the Caribbean. Secondly, I do want to publicly thank you for your stellar service to our region when you serve as executive director. We are sorry to lose you, but the government kind of Canada called and of course we, we understood. Uh, and thirdly, just to thank the Toronto Center for the, the partnership and for putting this event together. So at this moment, the global economy is slowing. And in the Caribbean, there, there are three principal channels of transmission uh, that concern us. It's impact on tourism, remittances, and so let's extend foreign direct investment. So in sum, this development is likely to dim the economic and socioeconomic prospects of our region. And there are three issues that are particularly, I mean, the Caribbean has many issues that, 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 that challenge us. But three issues that I, I want to highlight very briefly on this, on this question. One is the high debt, low, tra- low debt trap in which we find ourselves two, high unemployment, and three, climate change or climate crisis. So the reality is that our region is caught in a high-debt logo trap. Over the last three decades, we've seen growth consistently decline from 6% in the 1980s to 3.3% in the 1980s. Uh, 90s to 2.7% in, in the 2000s, and then 1.6% in the last decade. So it's been steady, a steady decline. At the same time that the, debt, that the growth has been declining, the debt has been rising. Uh, in fact, on account of loss of preferential <coughs> for sugar and bananas, uh, less concessional financing because we are graduating from low income to middle income, and in some cases high income, and, as, and natural disasters, debt has increased. Uh, debt peaked in our region, ECCU, at 91% in 2004. So low growth, high debt. You see the challenge. And that then creates its own ceiling, if you will, on our growth prospects. The good news, however, is that we've been working really hard to reduce our debt load, our debt overhang, So that at the end of last year, our debt had come down to 65% six, six to of uh, debt-to-GDP ratio, to 65%. Our target is to be under 60 by 2030, and two countries, Saint Kitts and Grenada, have already made that target, or just about. So, that is the first challenge we have. With the, with the, So, any any reduction in global growth is likely to put further strain on us in terms of our our trajectory for our trajectory for uh, growth and growth prospects. The second issue is high unemployment, especially amongst our youth. I don't know if people recognize that, but in the Caribbean, we have a problem of high high unemployment. And in fact, the youth unemployment is particularly high and doubles the national average. So if national is 20%, among youth it's 40%. And that creates its own social pathologies, as you could well imagine. So you've seen some uptick in crime and and deviant behavior on account of that. When I was growing up, it used to be said that poverty was about lack of education opportunities. Today in the Caribbean, a lot of our poverty has to do with lack of employment opportunities. That's a big change. So, and there is, there are high, uh, you know, significant pockets of poverty in some of our countries. I mean, in Saint Lucia, for example, uh, poverty is twenty-five percent. So, the story of these per-, per capita income, you know, masks what is going on underneath. You have to go underneath. You have to dig below to see what is going on there. And then, of course, the third issue uh, is, is climate, the climate crisis. Three facts about the Caribbean. One that we are, in fact, among the lowest emitters but the hardest hit by climate change. And as Mary Robinson, the former president mm-hmm. of, 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 Iraq, of, of Ireland and the current UN High Commission on, on Human Rights said, it is a grave injustice that the countries that contribute least to climate change should be the worst or high, hardest impacted. So that's one. Secondly, we're one of the most tourist-dependent regions in the world. So again, if you think about what global slowdown means for tourism, you see the challenge. And thirdly, we have seen, we have witnessed an increasing frequency and ferocity of storms. In fact, we had the monster storms in 2017. We're still recovering from that. And then in 2019 in the Bahamas with with Dorian. So those are some of the challenges that immediately confront us with a global slowdown. And uh, of course, we are determined to do our very best with our partners to, to mitigate to counter as best as, as possible. But the challenge is that as we make these strides towards the Sustainable Development Goals, these are the things which can easily reverse those gains. And these are the things that we have to work, uh, work to, 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 to minimize this impact as we as we press forward with SGD8. Uh, at the end of the day, we really believe that employment in particular is key to inclusive growth. Uh, and if we are to fulfill SGD8, then we have to be able to tackle our youth. And perhaps later on in the conversation, I could share some ideas about what we're doing there.
1: Perfect, that's excellent. All right, so now we'll turn to uh, Nazra uh, Hayat and uh, have a uh, little bit of your perspective. Um, obviously, an important leader within your organization and and a female leader at that, as I understand, the first woman ever on the board of a bank in, uh, in a Morocco. And, um, and also, uh, I think uh, what you mentioned to me before, uh, sort of your pathway to, to get there, how you've kind of uh, made your way into, uh, into those kinds of positions of, of leadership. So we'd really welcome hearing from, from you as to how you see gender equality playing into these, uh, into these issues. Of course, SDG five is uh, focused on gender equality. Um, and uh, for purposes of our, our discussion today, gender equality in the financial sector is often uh, a major challenge, um, so we'd really welcome your perspective, your a little bit of your story of, of your experience, but also um, your thoughts on how we might be able to close the gender gap when it comes to greening the financial sector.
3: Okay, thank you. I first wanted to thank uh, Toronto Centre for giving me the opportunity to speak in this uh, prestigious panel and to share all well, our experience in Morocco regarding the issue of greening uh, uh, capital markets. So for your question, just I want to tell you that I come from a country where ma- uh, uh, where many major actions have been taken under the leadership of His Majesty Mohammed VI in order to improve uh, women's rights. Uh, the, the first uh, uh, important reform was the Family Code, adopted in 2004, and which granted important uh, more rights to, to women regarding matters such as uh, marriage, uh, divorce, child custody, inherited, inheritance. And uh, with this uh, strong uh, will of uh, inclu- uh, uh, an inclusive, having inclusive policy that will uh, 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 integrate everyone and especially women. Uh, today, there is a national uh, uh, national policy for financial inclusion that targets uh, essentially women and youth uh, for employment. So uh, let me say few words of my personal experience on these issues. First, before becoming a regulator, I was a banker, and uh, I wanted to... Uh, well, to be part uh, first. Uh, well, I wanted to have a, a career as good as uh, as uh, for men. So, um, and uh, also uh, I wanted to contribute to promoting women in the Moroccan economy through NGOs. So after first experience with other women. Uh, uh, creating the, the association which is very important today, AFEM, Association of Moroccan Women uh, Business Business Women in, two, in 2000 uh, with the purpose of helping, identifying creating a network and helping women to create their own or to manage or, uh, companies. I, I found out that it was it was uh, the this initiative was very important but was not addressing issues for those women who were making career in big companies mm-hmm. I mean it was uh, it was even uh, while in in many studies uh, we would uh, we would find out that women after a certain level would uh, in order to become the, the boss would have to leave and create their own company and uh, so in 2012 with the with four other uh, cof, uh, four other ladies uh, that were holding a major senior position in the financial sector we decided to contribute to 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 improve uh, uh, well to, to to lobby and raise awareness about the the necess, uh, the gender equality within uh, in the companies we created uh, uh, which was the club of uh, uh, women directors, mm-hmm. to promote women on boards, especially boards of listed uh, listed companies, and uh, uh, and uh, we chose and uh, we chose the, the strategy to explain that this gender issue had more to do. With good governance for companies and with uh, uh, improving competitiveness and good governance of companies, rather than simply uh, improving the the presence of women in uh, in uh, senior in management in uh, management boards, and uh, uh, the first success we had uh, was that the first regulator who followed and who did something was our central bank governor who uh, understood quickly and required from banks to have equ- uh, gender equality among the independent directors. So this is how it, uh, uh, this is the experience as uh, NGO. And when I had the chance to be appointed as a head of capital market authority, I, I followed the uh, followed the same path, which are probably uh, in uh, in uh, improving ESG requirements, and uh, uh, through which the uh, 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 through which the, the issue of gender equality is is tackled in the in the ESG reports,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and uh, uh, also in raising awareness. Uh, uh, among uh, CEO of uh, listed companies uh, to include diversity within their board of directors, diversity including, I mean, means, but it's not exclusive means gender.
0: Uh, well, great, thank you. So... Hope you're enjoying listening to this Toronto Center podcast. We're working hard to bring our listeners topical content in today's fast-changing supervisory landscape. If you like this content, visit our website to learn more about our highly rated international programs covering banking, securities, and insurance and pension supervision. Enjoy the rest of our podcast.
1: In my own experience, for example, when I was at the World Bank, I, um, I chaired a group. Uh, focused on um, diversity of, of even our own board um, at the World Bank Group um, and the importance of uh, just making the business arguments for why a diverse and gender-balanced uh, uh, board leads typically to better decisions, better outcomes for organizations. So the, the case is there, the economics, the business case is there, but we still seem to have uh, mm-hmm. have challenges. So maybe we can talk a little bit more about yeah. that um, Mr. Nyong, it's up to you now for the for my last kind of introductory question. And thank you again for joining us. It's great to have uh, such a diverse panel. and And uh, you serve right now as the director of climate change and green growth at the African Development Bank. So a lot of expectations on your shoulders for uh, for how Africa's development will be sustainable and green. and um, I wonder if you could talk uh, to us as to how you say how you um, think about SDG thirteen, which is the combating climate change SDG, um, and how you see Africa's progress in this regard, um, and what are the main challenges when when you're working with your uh, your member countries to uh, incorporate climate change into, for instance, their financial, regulatory, and supervisory frameworks.
4: Yeah, thank you so very much, Christine, and thanks to Toronto Center for inviting uh, my team. Let me note here that Canada is a very strong member of the African Development Bank, so it's our bank. You know, I thought I should say that because um, few, you know, very few people know that it's not just a bank owned by African countries. We have 54 African owners and 27 non-African owners, and Canada is one of the top Mm non-African owners. But having said that, um, let me note here again that um, Africa basically contributes about less than 4% of total global greenhouse gas emissions. 54 African countries contribute just about 3% of the total emissions. But is a very disproportionate impact as you can imagine. And for the SDG 13, And beyond, Africa has plugged itself as a solution provider. We're not sitting down, we're not playing the blame game. We believe that we have a contribution to make to solve global problems. And some of the things we've done, for instance, 54 African countries have all signed the nationally determined contributions. 51 have ratified them. These are very ambitious targets. South and Principal, for instance, are a very small, small island-developing country, state, whose emissions by 2040 would be 240 kilotons, but has made a target to sequester 400 kilotons, almost twice what it emits by that year. This shows the levels of ambition that African countries have put forward there. But having said that, the countries in Africa are facing very severe threats of climate change, and like I've said, they are taking, a, you know, making serious efforts to addressing this. One is that the African Union has established regional programs to help countries, like the Africa Disaster Risk Reduction Strategy that is being implemented. The second is that countries themselves are uh, mainstreaming more and more of climate change into their national strategies. You know, the bank is helping them in doing this. We also have situations where the African Development Bank has been able to come out there to help the African countries. After ratifying these NDCs, these nationally determined contributions, most of the countries reached out to the African Development Bank. How can you help us make sense of this? So we established the Africa NDC support hub that provides technical assistance to countries to help them in mainstreaming climate change strategies or the NDCs international strategies, which is one of the uh, targets of the SDGs. What we found happening was we had a situation where African countries saw the NDCs as that document that donors have asked us to prepare that they will finance. And then they have their national strategies. And we thought that wasn't good enough, that we need to mainstream those indices into national development strategies. So that's what we're helping them do. Many countries are also developing long-term strategies to see where they would get to by 2050 for a carbon-neutral or a decarbonized society. So this is it. But then they're also faced with challenges. The latest uh, climate policy initiatives report shows that between 2016, 2018, on average, only 3% of the global climate finance was programmed in Africa. Sometimes I wonder what Africa has to do with the number three, 3% emissions, 3% global finance. And we think this is really very poor. So what we've done is that we are also setting up initiatives that will help them access more finances from these uh, funds we have what we call the adrifi the africa disaster risk reduction initiative that you know is conceptualizing a very innovative way of helping african countries to pay insurance premiums to you know buffer their risk because we are seeing so many Um, public expenditure displacements taking place. Countries, when disasters happen, have to take, nobody plans for disaster. When it happens, they take money from education, from health, from whatever to address this issue. So we're dealing with that. And we also realize that Africa has less than one eighth of the minimum number of meteorological stations required for development. So we have a massive program that we are strengthening the African regional climate centers to be able to generate good quality data, disseminate this data, and then use them for national planning purposes. So there's a lot that is going on there. While African countries are doing this, we still think there is more that needs to be done. We also believe that adaptation is not static. Resilience is not static. You adapt to a signal. So we think it is important that high emitters while Africa is building adaptive capacity, high emitters should be working towards bringing down their emissions at the same time. Thank you.
1: OK. So we're going to open it up for uh, some questions and uh, and comments. So the first the first round, it was kind of identifying a few of the SDGs and uh, kind of uh, getting a sense of, of just how, at a practical level, uh, financial regulators and financial supervisors are kind of internalizing this new global set of goals in terms of uh, their day-to-day work. There's lots more we can drill into that, but uh, people want to pick up on on that line of inquiry and we can pose some questions. Oh, sure. I
5: have a question for Thank you. Oh my God, my voice is loud. Um, <laughs> So when you're talking about the, I guess, the three key factors for uh, the Caribbean in terms of foreign direct investment, employment, and promoting tourism, I suppose, um, it seems like climate change really catches you in a bind and greening the financing system might catch you in a bind as well in terms of if you're looking at making the financial system more adequately consider climate change issues, would that not also maybe live in the financial system more to the risks of say foreign direct investment in the Caribbean if now they're more alive to like well there's more hurricanes that'll occur in the Caribbean there's uh, a greater risk of damage and you know your higher insurance premiums is that not going to have a negative impact impact on the ability of the Caribbean to be bringing in greater foreign direct investment I don't know if you see that as a challenge or an opportunity but
1: okay let me see if there's another question, and we can take a couple. Any others?
6: Thank you for your presentations. Um, I'd like to try to merge the experience that Ms. Hyatt you've shared with us in terms of how you are trying to convince the financial system to uh, not green itself, but uh, address the, the the blindness, the gender inequities that are there that are holding it back. And the challenge that, that I see of getting all of the financial structures out there to recognize that the blindnesses that they have represent huge threats and missed opportunities. Um, you've all discussed very different circumstances, but they're all similar in the sense of the, the day-to-day development challenges predominate. When we're a aiming to green the financial system, we're actually asking financial regulators, the the, the entire ecosystem of the players, to take a look beyond their day-to-day challenges and recognize something that would fundamentally force them to revisit their, their entire business model. How do you get that started? I mean, it's hard enough to demonstrate materiality of women on boards. although there are some very strong examples of how that does increase diversity and decision-making and make make more profits. How do we get started in convincing governments in their national development spending, convincing regulatory organizations to start looking at these very apparently intangible impacts on the climate side? Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. Do you want to take the first one, Governor Antoine? And maybe, Mr. Nyong, I'll ask you to maybe comment similarly from an African perspective. I think there's a lot of countries in Africa who are facing some of the similar challenges, particularly disaster-prone and, and what that uh, what that might mean. So maybe the two of you could take that first question. and Ms. Hyatt, the second. Right.
2: So thank you, Christine, thank you for the question. Um, so your question really amplifies the fact that for us in the region, the climate crisis is an existential threat. That's why we feel so urgent about this issue. On the current trajectory, some of our islands could be underwater by 2100. And that may seem like a long time for some of us, except that if you recall Y2K, that was 20 years ago, meaning that time goes very fast. So we're concerned about that. And that's why we are, our focus is on building resilience building resilience, and I can you know go into the areas where we're actually building resilience. Perhaps we'll, we'll get into some of that as the, as mm-hmm. the panel ensues. Uh, but, 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 but the issue of insurance is a real issue. I mean, after the hurricanes in 2017, we had a situation there where some of our hotels were facing extremely high insurance premiums, so much so that other than labor, that was this, the next biggest cost. So there could be a situation, a scenario, where they, cannot buy insurance. That is how serious that is. Now, in the meantime, what we're trying to do is to build resilience on the ground to reduce the risk parameters and, therefore, to try to get the pricing. But you know how the insurance works. If they get a a loss this year, they're going to make up for it the following year. So that's a real issue for us. Um, But in addition to that, the other area that we are pursuing, which, of course, is controversial, but some of our countries are doing it, uh, is citizenship by investment programs to try to bring in foreign direct investment. And that has helped some countries, like St. Kitts. If you look at the infrastructure there, it is better than many countries. And that's the big reason why. But that's a sovereign decision. And it it has its pressures. And and so it is not an easy fix. But at the end of the day, whether it is citizenship by investment programs or medicine and marijuana, all the Caribbean is really trying to do is to find a way to make a, a livelihood. And that is the challenge that we continue to face.
1: Do you want to comment on that from a perspective of the African Development Bank and some of your uh, borrowing country clients?
4: Yeah, uh, thanks so much. I think it's, uh, for us, it's basically a double jeopardy. Because at the global level, international conferences, name them, even the World Economic Forum, we just finished, everything you hear about is carbon you know, mitigation, how do you bring down emissions and so on. And yet, we have a very large population that is facing these threats, like the governor has mentioned. How no, very little attention is paid to this group. And we think it is important that we deal with this. We had, Malawi is not a coastal nation, it's never experienced hurricanes, but we had Hurricane Ida that swept it. And we're asking, who next? Which means even the hinterland countries are not safe. So there's a lot that we think needs to be done. We need to pay more attention to resilience building. Africa spent about 2% of its GDP dealing with the aftermath of climate disasters. This is huge. Even though we're saying, if we put in that 2% upfront, we might be able to save a lot more down the stream. So that's where we are. But let me also add here that um, in the first question you asked, part of why what uh, we've seen, the challenges that African institutions are having, regulators and so on, in addressing climate change or building climate change in that. You know, we have this conversation. As we speak, many people in the finance sector still think that climate change is an environmental threat they distance themselves, they still have not gotten to the point of seeing it's beyond environment. That it has to do with the entire economy and that the financial sector has a role to play. So we're still having this dialogue you know, of how do we get the finance sector to take this matter up. And one of those challenges they have is the lack of data, lack of awareness. They don't know, then they have the lack of data Even if they want to do it, they don't know how to do it. They don't know what data is available out there. We're very weak. I was surprised to know that many African financial institutions are not even Basel compliant. So they don't even have the luxury that we're talking about in uh, in, uh, addressing issues of environment, gender, you know, social development, mainstreaming them into them. So there's a lot that needs to be done from the African perspective to get the financial sector on. But then for the international community, there's a lot that they still need to do to work with African countries. Let's raise ambition in adaptation. I've had people tell me, look, you guys, when you put your acts together, come back to us. When you give me a long range of uncertainty, it could be five meters, it could be one meter high, um, sea level rise. What do I plan for? Do I plan for one meter? Do I plan for five meters? Mm-hmm. And my question has always been: the best of the economists tells you all things being equal, then they give you a proposition. And we know in real life all things are never equal. We believe that. So why can't we believe the climate change specialist that tells you this might happen?
1: Good. Okay. Ms. Hayat, did you want to react to the question at the back?
3: Uh, okay, so. Uh, for your question, well, in Morocco, uh, the 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 aim, the challenge is not to convince government or regulators to to tackle the issue of uh, of sustainability. Is rather how government and regulators how they can implement a, a more uh, a more sustainable uh, economy, a strategy for a more sustainable economy. And, uh, and how to convince and raise awareness ab- among the rest of the stakeholders. Let me give you an example of what we have done then as a regulator, because of the, what I, I, I talked about before was my experience as on the side of NGOs. But When I became a regulator, we, uh, we, we addressed, we had first to address the, the issue of uh, green capital markets uh, and uh, I was ju- I had just arrived and I needed uh, to reinforce the role of the capital market authority, not only as the watchdog, not only as the uh, authority that protects uh, investors and uh, and uh, uh, that lo- uh, make sure that uh, that uh, the market is uh, the rules uh, are respected, but also, with the ambition of contributing to develop the capital markets with the capital markets having to play a greater role in the financing of the economy. So when I arrived in 2016, the, the, the year the COP22 was held in Marrakesh and uh, uh, it, was the, it was the occasion for government uh, together with the, uh, with the regulators, the three regulators for the financial sector, including Central Bank, capital market authority, insurance, uh, uh, insurance uh, control authorities, banks and uh, uh, and uh, investors. Uh, it was the occasion to build a national roadmap with specific actions. Uh, regarding uh, the capital market authority, we started, uh, we, we said, how do, how do we start? We started with guidelines for green bond framework and to implement uh, green bonds using the, the uh, the best international standards. We were helped uh, uh, in this uh, first uh, guidelines uh, by IFC. Uh, We had, and that was the the, uh, that that was our first uh, uh, action to uh, uh, to create uh, to help create the framework for new instruments. Uh, As regards. this is one example another example as regards well, women and improving the presence of women on boards or, or in management positions we have had a progressive approach to include esg reporting by our uh, uh, by issuers not only listed company but all issuers we started with guidelines explaining what a, what are the what is the ESG report, having then Casablanca Stock Exchange launch and ESG index. And progressively, lately, uh, last year, we amended amended our rule book and made mandatory the publication of the ESG reporting, the first uh, uh, and uh, switching from voluntary to mandatory. We will have our first report uh, uh, at at, uh, April, from all this company, but since then this, uh, we have already seen progress in this three years. Uh, for instance, uh, the number of uh, women on boards has, uh, the percentage has doubled. Before that, uh, only they represented only 7% of uh, directors. Today it's uh, 13% and I'm sure that now that we made mandatory Reports that includes also how the policies to improve uh, women and all uh, all other policies regarding uh, impact, uh, environmental impact, and uh, uh, good good governance. I'm sure that uh, all the we will uh, and uh, this will have measurable indicators that I'm sure will improve.